Well, it's good to see all of you this morning. Welcome, Sister Marie. So good to see you. Yes. Amen. Yes. Oh, thank you. You know, this morning, Palm Sunday, and we're going to be serving communion in a few minutes. But I looked up some scriptures in 1 Corinthians 1 10, it says, Paul writes, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with one another. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather be of one mind, united with one purpose. That's what we're here for. United in one purpose. So let's continue to encourage one another. Help each other. Lift each other up. And continue to grow as brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's be tender hearted. Let's have a humble, humble attitude towards those to those things that are going on. Because we are one body. We, we have been together for a long time, so let's, let's just continue to love on one another and let's not let divisions and egos and all those other things get in our way. You know, the enemy has no stand here. Amen. This church belongs to Jesus Christ. Amen. And he's yes. in charge. Yes. He's in charge. Everybody have their communion? Let's all stand. This morning as we take the Last Supper, I'm reading out of the book of Mark. Mark 14, verse 22. And it's written, As they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and he blessed it. And then he broke it into pieces, and he gave it to the disciples. And he said this, Take it. For this is my body. Take it. For this is my body. So take the bread. And we all know what happens in a few days from Palm Sunday. When Jesus' body is broken. It's broken for us. And then he took the cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. I will not drink again until the day I drink the new kingdom of God. Amen. So let's take the drink. Oh Lord, we thank you. We thank you so much for the sacrifice, Lord. We thank you so much for what you have done and what you did on the cross. For the broken body, for the blood spilled, for a covenant between us, Lord. Lord, we, we praise you this morning, we honor you, and we will continue to praise you and worship you, Lord. 
we will continue to lift you up. For you are truly, truly worthy. Lord, we give you praise, we give you glory, and we give you honor. In Jesus' name. Amen. And all the saints said, Amen. 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 This morning I'm going to read, you know, it's Palm Sunday. You can see the palms here. Susan said they look very nice. I said, yeah. Rose did it all. I had nothing to do with that. She climbed a palm tree, chopped them down, did all that. Wow. Yeah. But some... Psalm 30, verse 4, says, Sing to the Lord, all you godly ones. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. You know, as I was looking up some stories about Palm Sunday, I found this one on the internet. It says a little boy was sick on Palm Sunday, so he stayed home from church with his mother. And when his father returned from church, he was holding a palm branch. So the little boy, being curious as little boys are, said, Dad, where did you get the palm branch? And he says, son, you see, when Jesus came into town, everybody waved palm branches to honor him. So today, we got palm branches. Amen. And the little boy replies, ah, shucks. The one Sunday, I miss church, and Jesus shows up. <laughs> But Jesus shows up here every day. Amen. He's always here. Amen. This is his house. We're just guests in it. Amen. This morning, you know, it's Palm Sunday. It's recorded in our, all four of the Gospels. All four of the Gospels record this parade of Jesus where he comes into Jerusalem and he, they lay down the palm branches, they lay down their coats, they worship him, they celebrate, they're having a great time. But it's also bittersweet because we know that Friday's coming. The cross is coming. And, you know, whether you realize it or not, but a lot of the people that were in that line, that parade as they were celebrating Jesus are the same ones that they were there shouting, crucify him. Amen. Crucify him. How does it change so quickly? How does that happen? You know, Billy Graham said this. He said, the greatest mission field we have in the United States is in our own local church. It's the people sitting in the church. <coughs> Whether that's true or false, I don't know. But we know that the people that were out there praising Jesus, 
celebrating and singing songs of worship and honoring him and doing all that were the same ones that were yelling, crucify him, crucify him. Did they not have salvation? Are their words just empty? If we look at two stories in scripture, the first one from Luke 19, beginning at verse 36, it says, as he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. And when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Verse 38, blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying such things as that. And Jesus replies, if they keep quiet, the stones along the road will burst into cheers. If they keep quiet, the stones along the road will burst into cheers. I mean, Jesus is pointing out, he's emphasizing the fact that he controls all of creation. He has the authority to do whatever he needs to do with creation. You saw in the previous stories about the calming of the sea when the disciples were so worried about dying and getting shipwrecked. And Jesus said, be calm, be still. And it just quieted right now. So Jesus has all that control, and this is the point he's trying to make. And then in Matthew 27, verse 15, it says, Now, it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner to the crowd, anyone they wanted. This year, there was a notorious prisoner, a man named Barabbas. And as the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, which one do you want me to release, Barabbas or Jesus, who you call the Messiah? He knew well, he knew very well that the religious leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy. I mean, so much stuff happens even in a church over envy. It happens in the workplace, it happens everywhere. People get jealous of one another and it just starts. And just then, Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat. Amazing. Pilate had his own little judgment seat. And his wife sends him a message. And the message says, leave that innocent man alone. I suffered through terrible nightmares about him last night. So Pilate's wife is trying to warn him, don't touch Jesus. It's not going to be good. But meanwhile, the leading priests, the elders, persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor asked again, which of these two do you want me to release for you? And the crowd shouted back, Barabbas. And Pilate responded, 
then what should I do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? And they shouted back, crucify him. Why? Pilate demanded. What crime has he committed? And the crowd got even louder, yelling, crucify him. Pilate saw that this wasn't going anywhere and that a riot was developing. So he sent for a bowl of water, washed his hands before the crowd, said, I am innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. And all the people yelled back, we will take responsibility for his death. We are our, we and our children. So Pilate released Barabbas to them and ordered Jesus flogged, whipped, and then turned over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. What an amazing story. I mean, totally innocent, yet crucified. Yet I think there's people in this room all over that at one time or another have been persecuted for things that was not their fault, was not their reason for things happening. The crowd turned quickly. I know in places where I worked, management would turn quickly on us. One day we would be selling great, and we would be heroes. And the next day, we weren't selling anything. I mean, we couldn't buy dog food, you know? I mean, it was just that bad. You know, and management would just tell you, you're terrible, you're worse. Get out, go. You know, they don't want us. So on Sunday, Jesus rode into the city with people shouting praises and praising God for all the wonderful miracles they saw. And on Friday, they were shouting, give us Barabbas. We want him. Crucify Jesus. Crucify Jesus. Why the change? There are possible reasons for this. One of them is simply their words did not match their heart. They possessed a casual faith, but not a committed faith. They had a religion, but missed the purpose of Jesus Christ. They missed his person. So how can we have committed faith? How can we really be sincere, consistent in all that we do? What does it take? to have such a committed faith. Committed faith is not self-centered. It's Christ-centered. The center of your faith has to be on Jesus Christ. Not on you, not on me, not on somebody else, but it has to be on Jesus Christ. I mean, that sounds very obvious, but yet we miss it. We allow our flesh to get involved. We allow our flesh to change them. In America, we tend to say, hey God, here's my calendar. Here's my agenda. Now I can squeeze you in here, or I can squeeze you in over there. But that's not the way God operates. God wants that full commitment from you. 
In our passage, we see people praise Jesus just as he passed by. But many of them praised him for two reasons. First, they praised him because of the miracles they saw him do. And rightly so. I mean, Jesus comes into your town, you line up all the sick people, he heals them all. Obviously, you're going to praise him. But they also praised him because they believed Jesus was there politically to deliver them from the Romans as God had delivered them from the Egyptians. Their praise was tempered by the attitude of what Jesus can do for us rather than what we have and what we're putting into our relationship with him. It's all about him. A man who no longer looked like a deliverer or a conqueror, this is what they're seeing. They're seeing that he's not the one that's going to save them from Rome. So they change their hearts. They change their minds. They see that he's not that deliverer. There's another story I found. On the internet, it's about an ancient village in Spain. And the villagers learned that the king of Spain was going to come visit their village. And in, in a thousand years that that village had been there, the king had never come to the village. So naturally, they're getting excited, just like we would get excited if someone famous was coming in here. And they said they got to throw a big celebration. So as they're preparing, all the villagers get together. And they decided to come up with the one idea. Each one of them would take the best wine that they have made. And they would pour some of it into this large vat. And then the king would just open the spigot and he would drink a, a cup of the wine, which would be a mixture of everybody's best. And it would show the village to the king of what they really produced and how grateful they were that he was there. So the day before the king's arrival, hundreds of the people, they gather together and they all go up and they all pour their offering into this large vat. They climbed up the stairway, they did whatever it took until the vat was finally full. Then the king arrived. And they're talking to him and they're pumping him up and they're telling him how great it is and everything else. They lead him over to the vat. The king opens the spigot. And what comes out? Water. Water. You see, every villager in their own mind said, I'll withhold my best wine and substitute it water. With so many cups of wine in the vat, the king will never know the difference. The problem was everybody had the same thought. They all put water in it. And the king is greatly dishonored. Isn't that what happened to Jesus on his day? He comes into town, they're praising him, they're worshiping him, 
They're singing songs. They're honoring him. They're glorifying him. They want to give him his best, their best. And what do we do? We give him lip service rather than our heart. We give him lip service and not our heart. Committed faith is relationship-driven. If you want your faith to be really committed and really strong, you're going to have to pursue that relationship with Jesus. You're going to have to get down and spend time in his word. You're going to pray. You're going to have to do all the things it takes to have that relationship with Jesus Christ. Those people gathered. They threw coats. They threw palm branches. They shouted praise. And at that moment, it was probably trendy. It was like a one of those mob scenes you see on the internet every now and then, where people just jump up and start doing these things, and then it was over. Everybody had their own motive for being there. But as soon as it was over, they're shouting, crucify him, because that's what the mob is now crying. So they really didn't have a heart for Jesus. All they had is follow the crowd. How many times do we get caught up in such a thing where we follow the crowd? We listen to words that may not or may be true or may not be true. We get persuaded by people rather than Jesus to do things. In a brief moment, certain things may seem trendy, But how do you make a mass murderer and set him free and clown him as your hero? I mean, if I'm standing in that crowd and they're letting this guy go, he comes over and stands next to me, I'm going to be shaking in my boots. I mean, he's a mass murderer. I could be next. We have to have a committed faith. Amen. We have to deal with Jesus on a personal level. Yes. Your faith is different than my faith. Amen. I may spend more time getting closer to Jesus than you. You may spend more time getting closer to Jesus than I do. Amen. Every day is fresh. Every day is new. In order to have committed faith, we must maintain that personal relationship with Jesus. No matter what the cost. No matter what the cost. Committed faith is not swayed or blocked by our personal trials or crisis. If you're going through a crisis in We've all been through crisis. We've all had them. We're all going to probably have another one. You know, it's just a fact of life. Things are going to come. Storms we're going to have to face. But if we stay strong in the faith as we face these trials, then Jesus is right there with us. That is a committed faith. If the disciples that were on that boat, as it tossed and turned, had really had committed faith, 
they would have realized that Jesus was there and he would take care of them. Amen. Just like I know Jesus takes care of this church and the people in it. This is his church. He will lead us where we will go. So at the parade, it was trending to offer praise. Everybody was doing it. But can you imagine who spoke up at his trial? That wasn't real trending. So everybody kind of saw it. That could have been real risky to stand up and say, oh, I know Jesus. He saved my mother, my grandmother, and he healed my father, and all this. And to get up and say that in front of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, could have been your death. So nobody did it. They just let the mom move. Many of us come to Jesus expecting everything to go good. You know, I've met Christians like that. Oh, I'm saved now, so I'm not going to have any trials. I'm not going to have any problems. You know, everything is going to be roses and butterflies. No. Exactly the opposite. Jesus is going to constantly test your faith. He's going to constantly see how committed you are. Are you willing to praise him at the time when somebody's got their foot on your throat? Are you willing to praise him when your boss is screaming and yelling at you? Are you willing to praise him when one of your friends is just, you know, telling you you're no good, you know, they don't want to be your friend anymore? Are you willing to praise him that? I mean, we've all seen things. We've all been to things. A lot of you people have been to Christian concerts. You've been to some big Christian events. And you see the entire place just praising Jesus, just loving on the Lord. And sometimes when you get home, that'll last for another day or so. But then the world starts to creep in on you. Then the enemy starts to come after you. Now's the time when you need to be praising. Now's the time you need to be reaching out. Now's the time you need to surrender that faith to him. I mean, some of you are going to leave here and tomorrow you're going to face a very tough task. Something's going to be, you're going to be up against something. And you're just going to have to say, Jesus, get me through this. Jesus, get me through this. I know you can. You're my God. You turn all things into good. Everything is for your purpose. Everything makes it better. Lord, I'm going to stand with you no matter what. I will not crumble. I will not fall. Committed faith takes the good along with the bad. Knowing that we are all promised that Jesus will be with us. He tells us he will never leave us 
nor forsake us. So why do we think he will? Why do we not trust that in the moment of a heartache, the moment of a hardship, the moment of a storm, the moment of a trial, that Jesus just disappeared? He's not playing hide and seek with you. He's waiting for you to say, I know you're right here with me. I know you're right here with me. I know you're going to stand with me. I know you're going to get me through this. You know, the thing is, sometimes we just can't figure out how he's going to do it. Because our ways, Scripture tells us, are so different than his way. Our thoughts are so different than his. But Jesus will always stand with us if we're committed to him. Another story I found. A little girl was walking along the garden and she noticed a really beautiful flower. She admired its beauty. She enjoyed its fragrance. She said to herself, this flower is so pretty. And as she gazed at it, her eyes followed the stem down to the soil that it grew in. She said, this flower is too pretty to be planted in such dirt. So she pulled it up by the roots, ran to the water faucet to wash away all the dirt. And it wasn't long till the flower wilted and died. And then the gardener comes to her and he says, you have destroyed my finest plant. And she said, I'm sorry. I didn't like it in the dirt. And the gardener says, I chose that spot. I mixed the soil because I knew that only there it could grow to be a beautiful flower. God has placed you and us exactly where we are. He has placed us there. And we must trust him. We must trust him. Him. And in trusting God, we will eventually see that He's using all those pressures, all those trials, Amen. all those difficulties that we face to take us to a new degree of spiritual beauty. Amen. He's going to lift you up every time you face a trial. And every time you're victorious with Jesus, Amen. you've raised yourself up another level. Amen, you're going to keep going and growing because that's what God will have for you. Amen. 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 True commitment comes when we accept that God is doing it for us. And we start thanking him that way. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. This morning, is your faith casual or is it committed? And as we approach this week that Jesus suffered, he suffered incredibly for us. A week where our sins 
our past, our present, and our future where the nails hung on the cross. Doesn't Jesus deserve a second look? Doesn't he deserve total control of our lives? Doesn't he deserve a personal relationship with you? This week, consider it all. Choose to give it all to him. Choose to give it all to him this morning. If there's something in your heart that you need to surrender to Jesus this morning, I want you to come down to the altar. I want you just to surrender it to him. You don't have to tell me what it is. Just tell Jesus. He already knows, but he wants to hear you say that. Because I know each and every one of you have things that Jesus needs to have. I know that you're holding on to things that you need to surrender to Jesus this morning. I know Jesus is here for each and every person in this place. I know he loves each and every one of you or he wouldn't have went to the cross for your sins. He wouldn't have went to the cross for my sins if he didn't love me. So I know he loves me. But I know he loves you guys too. He loves each and every one of you. So choose to give it all to him this morning. Choose to give it all to him this morning. Oh Lord, we just surrender everything to you this morning. Oh, Lord, yes, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for who you are. Come on, church, cry out, surrender. Surrender it to him. Oh, Jesus, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Oh, we love you, Lord, we love you. Oh, we surrender it all this morning, Lord. We surrender it all this morning. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus.